I invite you to turn to John chapter 5. We are in uh, the series in the book of John, and uh, today we're going to be looking at two different miracles. Last week we looked at two miracles. This week we looked at, we're going to look at two more miracles. Um, And it's, we're looking at the people involved in the miracles. There's two stories going on in each of these miracles. One's in five, and one is in chapter six. I want to say uh, hello to you guys if you're online and jumping in. Um, we realize that still maybe like 40%, 45% of our church is still connecting through online, whether it's Facebook, listening to podcasts. So, uh, And we're also seeing a, a whole number of people that are actually checking us out. Like you're just trying to figure out what Freshwater is like and whether we're weird and creepy, and hopefully we're not. Hopefully... Uh, uh, you find us to be a place, uh, people matter here, and uh, we're glad you're, you're checking this out, and hopefully God pulls you into our church family. Um, this morning as we begin, it, it's a story of a healing, and, and the healing starts off here, or the, the setting is chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this, after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jews, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. And what this pool is, so let me, let me give you kind of the scene. Um, so this isn't in the temple. This is outside the temple. This is outside the city walls or right there by the city walls, and there's this pool. And as the culture there understood what would happen, sometimes the waters would be stirred, and, and, and it was an angel of the Lord as they, as they would relay it and tell it and share about it, and there would be healing. Somebody who would get in the pool when those waters had been stirred would get healing. And so they had built roofs over this, and so all these sick people have gathered because there's no healing to be found anywhere else. There's no place else to find healing. And so they're all there hoping they can get in the pool when it's stirred. And it says a multitude of people there. I was uh, reading, uh, there was a doctor, he's a Christian, he was writing about this, he's actually a paraplegic. And he says, let me, let me kind of give you the feeling of what it would be like to be a paraplegic during this time. He says, you don't have ADA, AD, yeah, ADA, American Disabilities Act, right? You don't have ADA, you don't have wheelchairs, you don't have any of the things that we would look at that make the life easier for someone who has this kind of disability. Most of these people, if they could walk, walk there in the morning, A lot of them, if they were invalids or paralyzed, had somebody carry them there in the morning, family member, and then would carry them home at night. He says, if if you're paralyzed from the waist down, a paraplegic, he says, often what would happen, what happens to, and he describes it to us, part of this community, he says, we have problems and and difficulty with controlling our bowels and, and our bladder. So he said it it adds another element to it because now you have the humiliation of that. Who's going to care for me? And then an accident. 
And on top of that, a lot of these people, the way they got fed was by begging and going to people. People who did not want to be around that smell. People didn't want to be around that kind of discomfort. And you have a whole multitude of people gathered at a place, the only place, where you could actually possibly get healed. The pools. The pool here at Bethsaida. And Jesus walks in, and he saw him laying there. And he knew, he knew he had already been laying there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? Why am I here? He said, I can never get into the pool, right? Because somebody has to carry me, and before I can get into the pool, somebody else gets into it. And Jesus says to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once this man was healed, and he took up his mat, and he walked. And Jesus does what only Jesus does and can do, and And it's this moment where everybody's come for healing. They're looking at the pool, but nobody's looking at the sun. And he comes, and and why does he pick out this guy? Like this guy among the multitudes. And, And by all appearances, if you read through this passage, he doesn't heal anybody else here. He only heals this one guy out of everybody. 38 years paralyzed. Why that guy? It doesn't say why. It says that Jesus knew him, knew he'd been there a long time. And he goes up to him, do you want to be healed? And and some would say, oh, he he didn't have faith, you know, because he he didn't say yes. He just said, well, the pool thing, well, maybe yes, maybe no. I I don't know. Maybe he had faith. Maybe he didn't have faith. The only means of healing that this guy had ever experienced or encountered because he wasn't walking around. He wasn't walking to different towns. The only thing he knew that could heal somebody was this pool. And I can't get in the pool. I want to get in the pool. And so Jesus heals them. Crazy. Spine restored. Legs return with their muscle and strength. No longer paralyzed. Walking, carrying his mat, bending over like... How do, how do you go from, I can't do that for 38 years, to now I'm just doing that? But I don't think that's the story. What the story is, is, is him and what he does here in the next few moments. So he takes up his mat, and, and on that day was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, He's carrying his mat, right? He's carrying his mat. And, and, and they said, it's a Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. And, and you're just like, man, you guys, like, stop it. Just, would you stop it for once, right? Like, he just got healed. And they're like, why are you carrying that mat? Welcome to the house of the Lord. Gee whiz. And he answers them, the guy who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they're like, well, who told you to take up your bed and walk? Not who healed you. You got healed, right? Just lost. Lost. 
and all their rules and whatever. And they had like 30 different ways you could work. When the Sabbath was given, it was given real easy, clean, clear. Don't work on the Sabbath. Well, what's work? Don't do what you do all week long as work and do it on the Sabbath. Figure it out. But no, they have to write down laws, and then they go, oh, no, that, and because they, they can't trust the heart. You can't trust it. If it, goes, if it doesn't go by heart, if it goes by heart and by faith, then you really can't judge somebody, and you've got to figure out whether somebody's in or out and whether they're obeying or not obeying because it's up to us, and so we've got to write all kinds of rules down, more laws, more laws, more laws. So carrying your mat, that's work. Stop carrying your mat. You're working. And he's like, he told me to do it the guy who healed me. And at this point, it, we don't know where this guy's heart is, but we, we may be getting, and, and there, there's two ways to look at this guy. And, and I don't know, uh, part of me leaned towards this way, and, and then I'm just like, eh, I don't know. So you figure it out, all right? I'm gonna give you both, and, and we'll let the Holy Spirit and, and you figure it out. Paul said at one point, and, and I, I love this in Philippians, it's like, look, if we disagree on that, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to think, and, and, and you're good. So I'm good with that. As I look at this, though, it's interesting. He says this, and, and he's like, I don't know who it was. And, and to me, I'm just like, okay, is this guy clueless? Is this guy just out of touch with reality? Or is this guy like, so selfish and self-absorbed. Like he just got healed and he didn't bother to ask Jesus' name. And, and his reaction is so different than almost everybody else who gets healed or has a miracle except for those, those 10, I think it was the 10 blind men or uh, deaf guys. Was it 10 blind guys or deaf? Deaf. Leopards. Lepers. Not leopards. <laughs> Lepers. Animal. So, how does this guy who gets healed, 38 years, paralyzed, whatever, not find out Jesus' name? Not give up and give him a hug and say, tell me your name. Who are you? Nothing. So he's either like clueless, which there, there's people that are clueless, or he's just self-absorbed. And there's people who are self-absorbed. I don't know which one it is. And then you get to this point, and the religious leaders say, why are you yelling at Matt? And, and is this guy that, that clueless guy that's just like, I just want somebody to be kind to me. I'm just trying to do, I'm just trying. I'm just trying. And you've got these, these leaders that are just so mean. Or is he one of these guys that's just like, well, don't look at me. It's not my fault. Blame on him. Right? Shift in it. I don't know. What's interesting is what happens next. Jesus found him in verse 14 in the temple. He found him. This guy wasn't looking for Jesus. So now we're in the temple. Before we were out in the pool, now we're in the temple. Jesus finds him in the temple and he goes up to him. And he says, hey, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Wow. Sin no more so that nothing may happen to you. So Jesus comes up to him and says, 
Man, it's so good to see you're walking. But you better get your heart right or something worse is going to happen. So now all of a sudden, this guy who was laying there for 38 years, I have questions. Like, what do you mean? Like, what, sin no more. Like, what is that supposed to mean? And why are you saying that to him? And, and what is that all about? And, and there's this implication here that, that he'd been paralyzed and there's a connection between his sin and paralysis. Now, the Bible, the Bible does not say, you know, um, 100% say like, oh, if you're sick, that's because you sin. That you cannot make that statement. The Bible says sometimes when you're sick, it's because you have sinned. That says that over and over. Paul says it to the Corinthian church when they're totally messing up communion. He says that's why some of you are sick and dying. It's because what you're doing to communion. James talks about it. You guys are sick over here. It's because of sin. So there's, there is a connection to sin, but it's not all the time. And, and there's a connection here. I don't, I don't know how strong. I don't know what it is, but he's like, look, you got to stop sinning or else something worse is going to happen. The Im- implication being that he sinned and this is what caused him to be paralyzed. Seems that way. So now we got this guy. Is Jesus giving him a warning? And he has this heart that's like, okay. Or is he giving a warning to a guy that's just like, whatever. I don't know. Look at the next verse. What does he do next? He goes to the religious leaders and he tells them, oh, I know the guy's name. It's Jesus. Now, is he telling the religious leaders that because he's so intimidated by them? Because they're really the authorities there and, and he, he, he doesn't want to get kicked out of the temple? Because that could be the thing. Like, I don't know. Or is he telling them because he's like, you ain't talking to me that, that way, bro. Like, I don't know who you are. You may have healed me, but don't ever talk to me that way. And he goes and he literally gives Jesus' name. I don't know which one it is. All I do know is he's the only one that got healed. And why? Like if you could pick all the people out there in that multitude of people by the pool, why did you pick this guy who is either just kind of like, eh, kind of like uh, tossed about or, or, or even worse, just get away. Don't you talk to me that way after he'd just been healed. If we want to follow the way of the world, the way of the world says you have to earn it, you have to deserve it, you have to work for it, Get the list out, whatever it is. If you follow the way of Christ, if you want to live with the way of Christ, you've got to follow this path where it is just sometimes it doesn't make sense when he gives mercy. And that's why I'm up here. I don't deserve to be up here. This message is so hard to put together. Because it's just, what do, you, what do you do with that? It defies everything that you think. Who deserves it? Who doesn't deserve it? Why would you pick somebody like that who at best is, is ambivalent or fearful or just I don't know what to do or worse? 
and that's the mercy of God. I was talking to somebody after the service. He's like, oh, that's my story. Like, God, I was this guy, and God kept sending stuff to me, even though I was, I was rejecting him. He kept coming after me. I love that. Are there people in our lives that we would hope, prefer, not get mercy? Are there people we look at that say they're so far beyond or they don't deserve and yet we forget the whole premise of our faith is this God who goes into a place and he picks out a person and he knows like you or me and he says, let me touch you. And we may not even have the right response. Isn't that God? Jesus does this incredible miracle, changes a man, hides, pulls back so nobody knows it's him. I, I, you just look at this, and, he, and he, then he goes again towards this man and then warns this man. Like, there's just these moments where God is trying to break into this guy's life wherever he is. He's trying to break in, and I love that. And if, if you're listening and, and you're, you hear a message from the church that is more like, kind of like these religious leaders, or it's like, rah, 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 I just want you to know that is not Christ. Christ is this, Christ is this God who wants to come, and he, he looks and he sees you, and he says, I want to give you mercy, which is mercy is not getting what we deserve. Not get, I'm going to hold back mercy and I'm going to pour out grace. I'm going to give you stuff you don't deserve. That's, that's God. I'm not going to make you pay for it. And it leaves us, and I, I mean, it just leaves me at the end of the, uh, this week. Guys, I just, um, I don't have a nice bow for this one. I just don't. I can't wrap this one up and tie it up for you. And other than that's, that's our God. And ah. So that's one response. Let's look at another response. Chapter 6, famous story, feeding of the 5,000. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. All four Gospels record this. But this one is the only one that has a different focus. And the focus is this guy named Philip. Chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is called the Sea of the Tiberias. A large crowd was following because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jew, this is the second Passover now in the book of John. we got one more coming and that one is right before his crucifixion. So this is the second Passover. So we're at least a year now into Jesus' ministry. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes in and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, 
Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So the Holy Spirit, goodness, I don't know what that voice break was. Um, The Holy Spirit inspires John to write this story. John remembers the feeding of the 5,000, but unlike the other three guys, he writes about this back, you know, room or sidebar conversation with Philip. Jesus pulls Philip aside to test him. We first meet Philip in chapter one. Pastor Sean preached on chapter one and the disciples and Jesus calling them all. So we meet Philip and we don't know much about him. Philip has a friend. He's got at least one friend in his life, Nathaniel. And he goes and tells Nathaniel, he says, hey, we got to follow this guy named Jesus because he's the guy Moses and the prophets and the law were talking about. And Nathaniel's like, eh, whatever. But Philip, Philip in this moment of brilliance is like, he's the one, he's the guy. We got to follow him. And that's all we know about Philip. And this is the second time we get to hear about Philip right here. And Jesus comes to him and he says, where are we going to get bread for all these people? And it's a test. Answer it the right way, you pass. Answer it the wrong way. I mean, students, could you imagine your whole class, your whole semester is all based on one question. You get it right, you pass. You get it wrong, you do it all over again. Where are we going to get the food to feed all these people? And what's Philip's answer? Well, his answer is, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. 5,000 men. They say, well, if you're only counting men, but there's obviously women there, children there, so there's probably, they say, 10,000, 20,000 people. I don't care. 5,000 is a lot. I'm good with that number. You guys good with that number? 5,000 is a lot. I mean, 20 people come over to your house. What do you say, uninvited? What do you say? How are we going to feed? No, you you guys go home. And he says, we don't have the money to buy enough bread for this. There is nothing wrong with that answer. That is absolutely true. We don't have the money to feed all these people. And then Andrew, all eager, not realizing it's a test, says, I want to take the test. And what does Andrew say? Well, we've got verse 9. There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Wrong answer. Andrew says it's possible because he doesn't have enough fish and bread. That can't feed that many people. You can't stretch that food. Neither one of them reaches back, even to the start of this thing. Even Philip, when he said, this is the guy, 
Moses and the prophets and the law talked about. This is the guy. None of them reached back to that moment. None of them reached back to the miracle at Cana. None of them reached back into the miracle that just happened at the pool where they saw this guy healed. They're all facing, both these guys, but Philip in particular is facing a test. And no one, they, he, doesn't, he doesn't go just one more step and go, yeah, we don't have enough money for this, but I know a guy. Like, I know a guy who might be able to do something. Let me ask you, what is your test? You ever think that God tests you? What is the test you're facing? What's the test you've just come out of? What's the test you think you may be going into? What tests have you failed in the past? What tests have you passed in the past? You ever pass a test once and fail it the next time? The, 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 the test is this. When faced with something that is humanly impossible, what is the answer? And what are we going to say? Or what are we going to do? And God comes up to us and says, hey, what are you going to do? What should I do? What should we do? What's your answer? Jesus doesn't say anything, at least John records. He just says, hey, have everybody sit down. Let me show you. So they all sit down. Jesus in verse 11, about 5,000, right, a number. And then he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Oh, no, distributed them as those who were, yeah. Sorry, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. This is the prophet who's come into the world. You know, there's... Um, our, our church, there's a couple, a few people in our church that put together a podcast. They do it every week, or not every week, every other week, or something like that. But it's just stories, people's stories. It's called Recreated, R-E, capital C, Created. And um, check it out. It's on, like, Apple and Google and whatever other ones are out there. Um, but they take, they tell people's stories. So a lot of the stories are actually from here. And it's like, you know, an hour story, an hour and a half, so you actually get to hear somebody's life story and, and how did they find Christ, and it's really encouraging. But Norm Pond uh, got on Recreated a couple of weeks ago, so I was listening to the podcast with him, and he told this story. I'd never heard this story, like, not that I know all of Norm's life, but I've known Norm for a while, and he tells this story when he was in college. I mean, he's a pretty sharp guy, right? So, engineer dude, and uh, I'm not saying that all engineers are smart or anything or sharp, don't want to say that or not sharp. I'm stopping right there. Norm's a sharp engineer dude. That's where we're going. Um, and I'm not looking at any engineers right now. 
Um, so he's in this class, and it's an upper-level class, and it's, it's some kind of engineer class thing, and the prof lays this out there to norm. So every student has to come and present, give a presentation, and they get, they, um, they get, it's a big part of their grade, and um, it's a competition kind of thing. Like, so the other students are coming at them. They're trying to like poke holes in it. They're trying to tear it down. And, and that's part of the whole class thing. And Norm's just flying through it, like breezing through it like Norm does. And then he gets to the end and the prof hasn't said a thing the whole time. And then the prof asks him a question. And Norm's like, oh, and so Norm's trying to think, and he's trying to think, and he's coming up, so he starts to give an answer, and he goes into it, and he pulls this in, pulls this in, pulling everything in, trying to answer, and he gets done, and he kind of goes, and he knows he hasn't answered the question. As much as he's talked, he never answered the question. And the prof finally spoke, and he said, why didn't you say, I don't know? He said, Norm, because what was on what was on this was, if Norm answered the question, he didn't have to come back to class the rest of the semester. He passed the class. If he got the question wrong, he had to come to class. And he said, when, when the prof put that out there, before he asked the question, the whole class was like, oh, like, what free get out of class card? So that's what's on the table here. So there's a lot of pressure, not only just the class is watching, and, and the, nobody else in the class got asked this question. And he gets to this point, and the prof finally asks Norm, why didn't you say, I don't know? If you had said, I don't know, you would have passed. But you didn't. You tried to figure it out on your own. You tried to figure out a way to get into it. If you would have just said, I don't know, you would have passed. Of course, the whole class is like, cool. Jesus puts this test in front of Philip. It's an impossible test to which there is no answer except, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to feed 5,000 people. I don't know how to get the money for that. I don't know the answer. And Jesus is just waiting for us to say, I don't know. I don't know how to pass the test. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know? And Jesus goes, yeah, now that you mention it, how about you and I do something? What's your test? When's the last time you've said, I don't know? When's the last time you go, I, I don't have a clue? When's the last time you said, oh, Lord? Oh, Lord. And you don't, you don't even have anything beyond that. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. You know what happens to Philip? Philip gets, 
gets mentioned two more times in the book of John. He stumbles again, and then the other one's just kind of like a little passing Philip was there. That's all John talks about. But if you go to Acts chapter 8, chapter 9, Philip, the dude has his hair on fire. Not even fire, it's fire. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. He may have been involved in the first teleportation event in the history of the world. Like Holy Spirit whisks him from one place to the next. Philip is this guy that goes, I don't know, but he does. What are you doing? What are you doing, Jesus? I mean, he's this guy that God starts to use in powerful ways. And this is why I want to say this is you can grow. You can grow in your I don't know. And you can grow in your faith. Stretch. Stretch it. Push it. Don't just sit back and go, ah. Don't sit back and even be the the passive guy at the pool. Maybe, I don't know, overwhelmed. Maybe really against guy. You can grow. We can grow. You can be, if Philip is this guy over here where the the crowd's saying, oh yeah, that's the guy. Remember that? I mean, that was so cool. They're saying, that's the prophet. And Philip's like, oh, that's right. That's the prophet. Who's supposed to come? I should have known that. I said those words myself. Which is, how many have done this, right? How many of us have ever done this where we have the moment of brilliance and we pass the test and then another test comes and we're like, wah, wah, wah. We totally forget God and we try to get the answer and we try to do it ourselves and we try to, yeah, can I get a witness? Mm, mm, I see that hand. I'm gonna invite the team to come up. We're just gonna spend a moment here at the end. Let me just pray for you guys and and for those of you online, just kind of just say, okay, God, I'll take this. I'll take this prayer. So Holy Spirit, would you right now show the test? Would you just show them the test each one of us has been in or is headed in or coming out of? Would you show us and and just start to talk to us about what we gave for our answer? And if it wasn't, I don't know, but you know, and could you, would you just begin to show us what you're capable of again? Just remind us of how easy and freeing and, and what a blessing from you just to say, this is gift of mercy and grace to say, I don't know, but you know, Jesus, could you do something? Could you do something? I don't know. I don't know, but could you do something? 